Hello, and welcome back to the Candles and Shadows podcast. I am your host, Ada, and I'm very excited to welcome you to episode number two. And as you can tell from the title of this episode, this is going to be a very interesting conversation. As I stated in my intro to my podcast, my goal with starting this podcast and with um, sort of embarking on this journey is to kind of shed a light on topics that I feel are not getting enough attention in society, particularly in this case, with regards to to this particular episode for today within the Nigerian, uh, Nigerian American community. The topic of trauma is one that is um, sort of a difficult topic to discuss. In conversations with friends, friends of mine, family members of mine, I oftentimes find that this is a topic that is avoided and um, many children have fear in bringing it up with their parents because of the reaction that they oftentimes get. And so when I decided that I wanted to explore this deeper in this episode, in doing my research, I really wanted to see if I could at least find some kind of, whether it was an audio recording or video out there that kind of would give me a little bit more insight, especially, you know, if I could find one that included maybe the insight of a therapist, psychologist, psychotherapist. And luckily enough, I stumbled upon this YouTube video. It is from 2019. And the title of this video which is also the title of this podcast episode, is Is Trauma the African Family Generational Curse? And I have to tell you that when I listened to this episode, I felt like this psychotherapist was speaking exactly, directly to me. I felt like she was reading a script of my life And I just said to myself, I have got to share this information with my listeners. If it resonated that much with me, I just know that it can and very much will resonate with a lot of you out there that are listening. Um, So in this video, the interviewer, her name is Lolo Cynthia. She's, from what I can see online, she's a storyteller and she's committed to liberating communities one conversation at a time. And she is interviewing Amanda Ime, and she is a licensed psychotherapist living and working in Lagos, Nigeria. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Cape Coast and received a master's degree in clinical psychology from Swansea University. She currently runs her private practice called Ndidi, while working as a contemporary artist as well. And I will be sure to leave her information, uh, her very impressive work information, if I might add, in the description to this episode so that you can kind of get in contact with her if you'd like to um, read more about her work. I was, I think this is the first time I've ever come across a Nigerian psychotherapist. I'm sure there are more out there, 
But this was the first time I came across one, and particularly one that was speaking to the issues surrounding trauma in the African family environment. And so my aim within this episode today is to play separate clips from the episode and then offer my sort of commentary on each clip and explain sort of my experience with some of what she's talking about and sort of elaborate on um, the issues that this has or can have on families and children within the African family environment. And she speaks more specifically to Nigerian families, but I have a feeling that this also resonates with Africans within other communities as well. So I'm sure people from Ghana, people from Togo, people from Benin, they can probably (laughs) relate to some of, of this as well. I have friends from those countries. And so when we have these conversations, they oftentimes are very much able to relate. I'm just going to quickly read the description. This is coming directly from the YouTube video. So it says here, many adults have a childhood experiences that overwhelmed them, especially when those experiences were negative. These experiences, if not handled, have a way of manifesting in adulthood. This video, psychotherapist Amanda Ime highlights the impact of childhood trauma in African homes on adults. So the first clip that I'm going to play has to do with autonomy versus guilt and sort of exploring some of the trauma that is inflicted upon children that are not sort of given the space to be themselves and to express themselves the way that they would like to within the African home. So I'm going to go ahead now and play that clip and I will come back directly afterwards with my commentary. Like if people were allowed to study psychology a lot more, I wish I wish they were, they would have a better understanding of the emotional growth and development of children. Because it's like, at a point in your childhood, according to the psychologist Eric, Eric Erickson, there are different stages that a human being grows or goes through for their emotional and social development. And one of those stages, which is a very important one, is autonomy versus guilt. So it is at that age that your child is trying to learn and understand what the world means to them. So they start to express, they start to tell you that this is what I like, this is what I don't like, I don't like you speaking to me this way, I don't like wearing this, I'd rather study this in school, I'd rather go to this class, I'm more interested in that. They start to really express themselves. Now at that point, what parents are supposed to do, because they have a better knowledge of how the world works, is they're supposed to help their kids guide them on how they can use this personality that they have to become the best versions of themselves. And that means that the parents also have to deal with the fact that sometimes some of the things that they think is good for their kids is not actually what is best for them because it's not right for the child themselves. So Nigerian parents don't actually know that. So what they want to do is control 
every single thing that you do from when you're a child up until the point where they think you are ready for marriage. They want to be the ones, and even after that, they won't even tell you how to be married, who to be married to. So most people never get a chance to really know what I like, who I am, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to behave. And the moment they start to act according to what works for them, what happens is guilt shame, fear. They start to feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this because this is not how I was raised or because I don't have a place to express or because it's going to be the wrong thing to do. It actually isn't. You've just been in an environment where every time you try to have your own sense of autonomy, your parents put you down by telling you, you don't know what you're talking about, your voice doesn't matter, mine is the best because I'm the parent and I'm, I'm, I am the adult. So that's how you have like a lot of passive aggressive people who have no autonomy whatsoever. Wow. Um, so let's jump right in. When I heard this part of the interview, I felt as though I was, I sort of had flashbacks to my childhood. And I began to think about so many situations in which exactly what she described actually happened to me, in which I was I would try to assert myself and try to sort of say what I liked and what I didn't like and what I preferred, et cetera. And I just remember sort of being shut down and being told that what I want didn't matter, that I had to listen to my parents, that I had to do as they said, et cetera, and so forth. And it's interesting how at that time and you know you just think that's just the way things are you just think this is normal this is the way that things are supposed to be this is the way that my parents you know are bringing me up and I just have to go along with it and this is the this is the right way this is the African way and it's hearing her say this hearing Amanda explain it in this way just sort of makes me realize that no, that actually wasn't healthy. Your parents are supposed to allow you to express yourself and then guide you accordingly. Um, Get to know what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and then embrace those things and then provide a path, a healthy path towards what will make you, what will bring out the best in you, what will help you reach your fullest potential. And I think that this is a very, very unhealthy way in which many parents are raising their children. And I just want to also mention something here because I've heard people, especially people who are Nigerian American who have parents that were born and raised in Nigeria, I've often heard some people make the excuse of, oh, well, our parents did this to us because they were immigrants and because they were just trying to protect us and they didn't want us to go astray. Um, They wanted to provide the right guidance for us, provide the, the right way for us, the way that they thought was correct. Because of their immigrant situation, living in a strange country, living in a strange culture, et cetera, and so forth. Now, I have to say that I disagree with that because what Amanda is speaking about here in this 
interview predominantly has to do with families that live in Nigeria. She's not talking about, you know, families that live in the diaspora, that live, you know, in the United States or um, live in, in Europe. She's talking about families, parents that live in Nigeria. So that makes me think, okay, so then that argument about this behavior being a result of or symptomatic of a family's existence in the United States as immigrants, that argument no longer holds because this exact same behavior is also occurring in the homes of those that live in Nigeria. So this has this has more to do with the the culture, you could say, and the way that people were brought up and people just pretty much emulating and copying what they learned from their parents and passing it along. And so I think that that argument that I oftentimes hear from people, that really needs to be examined um, because in my opinion, it just doesn't hold. That's not an excuse, in my opinion, for the for this behavior. This has more to do, in my opinion, with parents feeling insecure in their ability to understand where their children are coming from. Let's say, for example, you know, your child is interested in music or interested in a career in acting or some you know, unconventional career that is not one that is typically pushed within the African family dynamic. Rather than the parents taking the time to try to understand, you know, why might my child be so musically inclined or why is my child interested in this? And to try to explore that a little bit with the child and try to go down that path and try to understand where that child is coming from. There's often this mental block, this sort of like, we don't want to hear it, not interested, that's not for you, you're going to go this way, and that's that, and end of discussion. Or or to just criticize it, to just completely downplay it, and to make the child feel as though what they're doing is a waste of time, etc. And in my opinion, I just think that that comes from a place of insecurity on behalf of the parents. They feel inequipped, they're ignorant in that space, in that environment, they only know one way to do things and they are reluctant to explore other ways of seeing the world. They're reluctant to go there with their child. They're reluctant to see where this might go. Um, Not out of, I honestly don't think it's, I think fear is an element, but I honestly think that it's more just laziness, ignorance, wanting to have control. That's another thing that Amanda mentioned in this clip. Parents just wanting to maintain control over their children. And when your child decides that they're going to assert themselves and go in a, on a different route, take a different route than the one that you have in mind for them, then you feel as though you're losing control of your child. And that element of control is a major factor as well in why I think um, parents are just not willing to listen to their children. They're just not willing to hear their children out and to give their children that grace. And I think that that's extremely, extremely 
problematic in the African family dynamic. And so something needs to change, in my opinion. Something really does need to change. The conversation continues with Lolo asking Amanda to sort of elaborate on the issues that we see with anger and narcissism within the, specifically in this case, within the Nigerian family dynamic, within the Nigerian society. And I thought that she had some really, really interesting points that she brought up that I'd like to share now. So I'm going to go ahead and play that next clip. And after that, I will come back with my reaction to what she had to say. But when we come out into our society, we see that people are so violent. When you enter the bus, it's not difficult for you to hear the woman insult the conductor just because of a change or the conductor insult. Why do you think we have such a high level of violence? If so many people come from homes where they've had to hold on to that anger. Mm -hmm. It's because anger needs to be expressed. Anger needs to be shown. Anger needs to be let out of the system. People need to communicate displeasure. People need to say, I'm not happy with this. I don't like this. I don't like that. Same way they also need to be happy and joyful and accepting. They also need to reject certain things. And when you're not allowed space to express it, you suppress it. But the thing is, emotions are not shit. You don't come out in the toilet and then pull out your feelings. No, you suppress it, but it leaks out. It's like water. So it starts to affect other things and manifest itself in different ways. And so you now see some people be like, ah, why is this person so angry? Sit with them and ask them, just ask them, what kind of household were you raised in? The usual question would be like, oh, is the average Nigerian household? But that average Nigerian household, it has sexual abuse in it, it has emotional abuse in it, it has physical abuse in it, it has verbal abuse, because it seems like a part of parenting in Nigeria is abuse. And a friend of mine who's also a therapist, she came to Nigeria for the first time, and she told me, I was talking to her, I was like, yo like there are a lot of narcissists in this country and she was like yes because it is deeply embedded in your culture to be narcissistic Absolutely. even the men the way they treat women women the way they treat men everybody wants to just do what is good for them everybody only ever thinks about their own issue everyone is apathetic because for you to not be narcissistic it involves compassion it involves empathy and it involves ability to reflect upon oneself introspect and think about how are the things I'm doing the decisions I'm making affecting me and affecting the people around me. But nobody talks about that. Everyone just wants to do what is good for me, what will make me happy, even if it's at the expense of other people. The parents raise their kids that way, focusing on what can my child do to make me happy so that I can take this information out and gloat about it so it can feed my insecurity of not being good enough and hype up my ego to make me feel like I'm worth something in my society. So everything is pretty much not narcissistic, the way we raise our kids, just to make sure that we look good. This whole thing that we talk about, oh, Lagos is a very pretentious place, everyone is just putting on um, packaging, packaging. That's the ego that they are portraying, not the true self, just the ego. And everything they do is to feed that ego. And narcissists have big egos. Like, it is so huge. They would never think that the problem is them. The problem is always other people around them. Wow. Uh, <laughs> once again, um, Amanda Ime was just hitting those points and it was just taking me back. It was just taking me back to so many things that I could remember from my childhood, 
So let's start with the first point that she mentioned about anger. Um, I first, and, and before I uh, get into that, I just want to preface this with, I am not here to, you know, to bash or to, you know, this is not a environment in which I am here to, to attack anyone or to say bad things about anyone. I think it's important to have these conversations in a constructive way that makes sense and to do so in a way that conveys truth and at times that may involve having to speak from a perspective of personal experience, but in no way is this a bashing session where I'm here to throw people under the bus. I just want to be clear about that because oftentimes, and, and again, that goes back to what I said earlier in the, in the intro to the podcast, that this is the reason why this topic is not broached is because Oftentimes you are made to feel as though you're being disrespectful, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're talking shit about your family, talking shit about your parents, blah, blah, blah. And that completely misses the point. The point here is to highlight these things that happened to us when we were younger, when we were kids, when we were teenagers, and to bring awareness to these things so that people can really begin to think about how these things may be impacting them, how these things might be impacting their children. So I just want to be clear about that before I proceed, because I don't want anything that I'm saying here to be misconstrued or to be misunderstood in any way. This is not a finger pointing session. This is more, I, you know, I can only relate to this insofar as my personal experience with it is concerned. And so if that means that I have to occasionally sort of bring my own personal experiences into it, then so be it, because it's really the only way that we can have an honest conversation about it. And so going back to the point about anger, I have to say that this is something that I had a lot of personal experience with growing up. I did have parents that were very angry. Um, blame it on stress, blame it on, you know, life, marriage, kids, responsibilities, whatever you want to call it. However, it was a very unhealthy anger that should not have been expressed in the way that it was. And that anger was taken out in ways that, in my opinion, had a very negative lasting effect on us as the children in the family. And I think that this is something in the Nigerian community that is pathologic. It is prevalent. Um, even the example that Amanda gave in the beginning where she mentioned that, you know, a woman is in the bus and she's insulting the conductor. I mean, I've been to Nigeria several times and I can see that I've seen so many instances of people, whether they're in traffic, whether they're on the street, whether they're in the stores, just this, you know, many ex negative exchanges between people, people yelling at each other, people cursing at each other, people just expressing so much anger and frustration with one another. 
And that to me did not look like a very healthy society, a, you know, a society in which people are just constantly very upset and very angry. And you see it manifest itself within the home between parents and their children. Parents find it very difficult, in my opinion, to express other emotions, you know, you don't see any, you don't typically see people kissing and hugging their kids, but you will see people yelling and screaming and beating their kids. And it seems as though, you know, the, the negative aspects or the, the negative emotions are much easier to express than the positive ones, I would say. Now, I will say that I do think things are changing with the younger generation. I do get a sense that the younger generation that's beginning to have kids and form families now, they're beginning to sort of um, do things a little bit differently. They're not really as, you know, they're, they're more self-aware. They're more, they're less likely to want to participate in corporal punishment, for example. They're more likely to want to adapt more of a, a talking approach, you know, with their children. So I will say things are changing and have changed considerably, but I'm speaking more to sort of the, you know, the older generation, the older parents and grandparents at this point who had a completely different relationship with their children that was in fact not the healthiest. And going to the point as to what she mentioned about narcissism, I have to say that that's something, it's interesting that she mentioned that because in conversations that I've had with friends of mine, family members of mine, even before I knew anything about this from a psychotherapist perspective, I had always suspected that there was this narcissistic element within the Nigerian community, Nigerian culture, African culture as a whole, that I couldn't really put my finger on, you know, because I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a psychologist. You know, I'm not someone that can, you know, diagnose anyone with such a disease or, or or issue, but there was always this part of me that sort of felt that there was some underlying narcissistic element that was pervasive within the society, and it really concerned me. And so I, I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised that she mentioned that this is a, a huge issue among Nigerians and that it, 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 you know, not in order to not be a narcissist, it means that you have to be compassionate and you have to be empathetic and it involves sort of stepping outside of yourself and being able to be introspective. And that is the total opposite of what you see among Nigerians. You just don't see that at all. You see the total opposite, the refusal to accept responsibility for anything, lack of empathy, lack of introspection, this idea that it's all about me and, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and you're, you know, even at times making themselves the victim, which, which is a point that she also touches upon uh, in this interview. And the point that she made about how it, it even influences how people raise their children I couldn't agree with that more. And that is exactly what I have always pointed to as the central focus of narcissism within the Nigerian community. 
that's part of the reason why parents are always so obsessed with telling their children that you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be successful, you have to be this, you have to be that. You know, it it all goes back to feeding their idea of what success is so that they can go and brag to their friends and say to them, well, my daughter is a doctor and my son is an engineer and my son has a PhD and my daughter has a master's and a PhD. And it's, it's all about them. It's all about them. And even when it comes to who you can marry, you know, some families put so much pressure on their children to marry someone who is Nigerian, not because that's, that's the best person for their child, but because they feel that's the best person that will make their family look, look the way they want it to look. They want to be able to brag to their friends that, oh, look at the wonderful husband that my daughter found. He's Nigerian and he's a engineer or doctor or lawyer or whatever. Look at this beautiful, intelligent, well-educated Nigerian girl that my son found, you know, and then they want to have that big, you know, the typical Instagram, you know, Nigerian big blowout wedding with the Ashebi and all the, you know, (laughs) all the glitz and glam and, and all that stuff that comes with it. It's all about that image. It's all about that look. It's all about being able to brag. And so I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, as soon as Amanda Ime said that, I was like, oh my God, that is exactly it. You know, I want to add to this as well. You know, (laughs) there's an element of all of this that I want to touch upon. And I know some people might think, oh, but that's, you know, the culture. But look, this idea of spraying money, okay, like, you know, putting money on people's heads when they're dancing and, you know, I get it. It's cultural. It's part of the celebration. It's part of what it means to, you know, to celebrate someone, to want to bless someone, you know, during their wedding or whatever occasion it might be, birthday, whatever, anniversary. However, I have seen videos where people are literally, and this is predominantly in Nigeria, people literally have stacks. And when I say stacks, I mean, like, these are like the size of bricks, like really thick, thick bricks, big, long, thick bricks of Naira. And these people are just throwing this money all over the ground, throwing it in the air, showering people with it. Look, to each their own. And like I said, I get it. This is, you know, part of their culture. This is what they do. But in my opinion, I find that to be so tone deaf, um, especially in a place like Nigeria, where there's so much poverty, so much suffering, so many people who don't even have anything to eat. And then on top of that, I think that this kind of, again, ties into that narcissistic element in the, in the culture, 
this idea that you want to show off and you want to show how much you have, like somebody who has brick, like brick after brick after stack after stack after stack of Naira. I've seen people bring duffel bags into these clubs, like literal, like huge, you know, duffel bags and they open it and there's just like, I don't even, I don't, I can't even begin to imagine how much, how much Naira is in there and they just pull it out and just start throwing it everywhere. And so that to me is not, you know, if it was done in a modest way, I think it would be less confronting, but that way in which it's done, in my opinion, sort of speaks even more to the narcissistic element that it permeates the Nigerian community, whether it's in Nigeria or in the United States. I've seen it and it bothers me. It really does bother me. I think we have a misplacement of priorities and we are so focused on looking like we have something, looking like we are rich and we're doing better than everyone else, looking like we are at the top of our game and you know we're just <laughs> we're just it you know we've made it you know we're the best um yeah that that's problematic and again as i mentioned earlier it it manifests itself in our relationships with our children at some point because this narcissistic element doesn't just disappear out of your life. It, it, it goes on to sort of seep into and flow into other aspects of your life. And it can be very, very problematic. So I'm, and the ego, uh, as she mentioned at the end of her, at the end of this clip, you know, the ego is huge and Nigerians have huge egos. <laughs> and I, I know I'm speaking in general terms here. So if the shoe doesn't fit, don't worry about it. Let it fly. <laughs> but um, in my experience, you know, even within my family, massive egos, massive, massive egos. And in my opinion, these egos are very fragile and they are basically masking very, very deep insecurities within the community. And I think it's really important that we address these insecurities and speak out about these insecurities and try to dig deeper and to find out where these insecurities come from and how to fix them. Because I don't think that this behavior is helpful in any relationship that's going to work, whether it's between parents and children, whether it's between colleagues, whether it's between husband and wife. I mean, I'm a married woman myself, so I know this from personal experience. Ego and narcissism don't go well with, with, with having a healthy relationship in any capacity. And I think the sooner we speak out against this, the sooner we deal with this, within the Nigerian community, the sooner we can begin to heal and begin to really understand why certain relationships 
are just not working the way they should, while why children are growing up in these traumatic environments and being subjected to very unhealthy, toxic behavior from their parents based on their parents' unaddressed narcissism and unaddressed ego issues. So very important uh, points that she hit in that clip, and I'm really glad that she did. So the next clip that I'm going to play has to do with corporal punishment, which is another one that I think is all too pervasive within the Nigerian and, of course, African community overall. Um, it's, a, it, <laughs> it's a big one. And this clip is a little bit longer. But I think it's important. It, it, I think it's a really, really critical topic that needs to be heard and needs to be explored. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now and I'll be back with my commentary. Yes. There's this debate now that it's very it's heated when you talk about it, that it is abuse to hit a child to be physically violent on a child. So I guess the question is, how much violence is necessary in a child's life? And is it even necessary in the first place? That part is a little tricky. And even in the, the psychology um, uh, system, like uh, for a therapist and all that, it's still a little bit tricky because we're tr trying to understand like, how much of pain does a child have to experience to form them as an individual? Because we don't only just learn from good things happening to us, we also learn from pain. But then how much is too much for them to learn from? Now, nobody can give you an exact amount, an exact answer. But then we can definitely tell when it is far much more than what they should be receiving. Mm -hmm. Now, all kids have different ways of understanding and perceiving and relating and all that. And with each kid, you can't really or your children the same way like if a child offends there are some kids that for you to get through to them all you have to do is sit and talk to them explain to them and that's it and there are some kids that when you talk to them they wouldn't hear you until you apply a little bit of force into it for it to actually sink in the importance of why they're doing what they're doing is wrong and why it shouldn't be done and there are some kids that will require some form of punishment to let them know that there are consequences for bad actions now that discernment is not exactly something that we're very much aware of because we're not very emotionally intelligent in mm. this particular country so because of that everybody just raises their kids the same way and it's like if you do something bad automatically they all that their pent-up anger from their own childhood because you even see it in boarding school hmm? how your seniors your seniors would tell or even your missus i'm going to do to my juniors what was done to me so your parents literally in your childhood because their parents didn't raise them anywhere different they don't even know anything other way of raising a child and they never bothered to learn they will not say oh the way i was raised i'm going to raise you so if you do something bad i'm going to hit you now personally i don't think that there should be any form of physical violence in raising a child emotional verbal spiritual none at all because it impairs the ability to actually function as a child, as a human being, and creates unnecessary fear. Which is why you see how a lot of Nigerians don't even know the difference between respect and fear. That's why you think somebody respects you, but they actually fear you. And because they fear you, they're able to betray you, but you think they respect you. It's not because when someone respects you, they will be loyal. They would never go behind you. They would not want to go steal from you, embarrass you. Da, da, da. That's different because they respect you. They believe in who you are. They see your worth. And and they see you and they know that this person
person deserves a certain level of treatment. But when they're afraid of you, all they're trying to do is protect themselves because it's fear. And the thing about fear is people run from it. So what they do is they pretend to be that eye service thing that they do outside. Mm -hmm. And then behind you, they'll be doing something else because they don't respect you. They only fear you. Uh, but everyone carries that fear because you know what fear, when someone fears you, it feeds your ego and makes you feel much bigger. Yeah. So to be honest, I would say that in Nigeria, no form of physical violence should be used when raising your child. Everyone needs to go back and learn what is the best and healthiest emotional way to raise it. If you want to punish your kids for doing something bad, there are other ways to let them know the consequence of their action rather than hitting them. Like I see some people beat their kids like they're animals. Hmm. Like they use koboku. Why are you using a horse whip on your child? I mean, it got to the point where <laughs> there was a. T I, I read a thread on, on social media, Twitter, where they're like, tell, tell me the things, the silliest things that your mom has or your it's parents have, have beaten you for. You read something, okay, because I, I cut my hair a different style. And it's oh always, and you see that thing, an overreaction, it's a disproportionate reaction mm -hmm. to a person's um, uh, behavior, which is why a lot of people are very scared. They don't want to offend because they don't know what exactly is going to come out of it. They're afraid of failing, of making mistakes because they always think that whatever small mistake they make will bring about like the worst situations. So that was, once again, a very powerful comment by Amanda Ime in this clip. And I have to say that I could really understand where she was coming from with regards to the fear that is inflicted upon children when parents inflict bodily harm beatings, whether that's verbal abuse, whatever form it is in, I have to say from personal experience that I know all too well what that feels like. And you basically grow up feeling afraid of your parents. I was always afraid of my parents. And that fear sort of impaired my ability to come to them when I really needed someone to talk to or when something was really bothering me. I think a lot of parents don't realize that when you are that hard on your children, when you exercise corporal punishment, emotional punishment, verbal abuse on your children, you, you, you're not even really correcting the behavior, so to speak. What you're doing more so is you're just instilling fear in your child. And what that does, and I'm speaking from my personal experience, what it did to me was it just basically made me afraid of making mistakes. And it made me afraid of speaking up and asking for help. And that was an issue that followed me well into my adulthood. I remember several situations in school, high school, university, in my early career, where I was just afraid to speak up and ask for help. I was afraid to admit that I didn't understand something. I was afraid to admit that I needed more help because I was always afraid that in doing so that there would be some kind of massively terrible consequence for that. And that's a result of growing up in a home where 
I was not allowed to make certain mistakes. I would be punished for every little thing. I'd be screamed at for every little thing. And that's not healthy. That is very toxic. And it is counterproductive to instilling a sense of confidence, a sense of self, a sense of self-love, a sense of autonomy in your children. And in the world that we live in, especially if you have children growing up, I mean, it doesn't matter where, to be honest, but I, I can speak from, you know, as a child growing up in the United States, you know, you're dealing with a lot as a child of color growing up in the United States. You're already dealing with racism. You're dealing with, you know, having to live in a country where at times you're made to feel like you don't belong. You're made to feel as though you are not welcome in your own country. You're made as, as you're made to feel as though, you know, depending on where you are in certain spaces and certain schools, especially if you're the only person of color as I was in my Catholic school, um, you already feel isolated and alone in so many spaces in your life as it is. Maybe you grew up in towns that also were not that diverse like I did. You grew up around mostly people who were not Black, not Nigerian, and definitely not even Black either. And so you constantly feel isolated in every aspect of your life. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel like you don't have anyone around you that looks like you that you can relate to and then you and then within your own home you also feel as though you just you can't trust anyone there either you can't be yourself there you're not um you know who you are and the way you are is not acceptable there as well i was a very shy child i was a child that was very introverted I did not like social environments very much. I was not the kind of person that really wanted to be around other kids all the time. I was perfectly happy in my room reading a book or doing something on my own. And I remember being criticized for that. I remember being told that there's something wrong with that, that there's something wrong with me, that why am I not you know, more social? Why am I not doing this? Why am I not part of this group? Why am I not more involved in there was you know the choir group or why am i not more involved in this social group and that social group and you know just constantly feeling as though i was there was no space for me to be myself there was no space for me to just be me and not be criticized and not be judged for being who i am children look to their parents for acceptance and that is especially true when you're, as I mentioned earlier, living in a country where at times you're made to feel as though you are not welcome or you feel as though your race is somehow an, a problem, a hindrance. And I recognize that at a very young age among my peers at school. And I I think due to the fractured environment of my home life, I never really felt that I could come to my parents and communicate with them about some of the things that I was experiencing at school related to racism or microaggressions or things that might've even been coming from the teachers, fellow students. 
there was a part of me that was afraid that if I came to them and told them what was going on, that I would be somehow blamed. It's somehow my fault. I did something to provoke the situation that may have occurred at school. Because I'd had previous um, experience with that where I had come to my parents about things that had happened and was always told that somehow it was my fault. And it was at that moment that I realized that I was going to pretty much be on my own as far as, you know, taking care of my own emotional health, mental health, because my parents, they clearly were not people who were in a healthy space to be of any benefit to me. And so that was very difficult. And when you grow up in such an environment, you know, you, you, you actually, at least in my case, I could say that I sort of became stronger because I, that's maybe just part of my personality. I sort of pushed through it and kept going and sort of used that brokenness and used that anger to sort of propel myself forward. But that's not always the case for everyone. There's a lot of people that actually, for whom the opposite is true, they end up becoming very depressed. They become chemically dependent, whether that's on medication or other things. And they, their life sort of takes a turn in a direction that maybe it shouldn't due to the, the brokenness that they were experiencing in their home life. And so that plays a very big role in eroding trust between children and parents. I can say for myself that that has played a very big role in the lack of um, a good relationship between myself and my parents, because all of this sort of builds up over years, over decades, and it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away, especially if you have parents that don't apologize, don't take responsibility, aren't willing to change, aren't willing to go to therapy, aren't willing to sort of take a hard look at their behavior and really analyze the ways in which their physical violence, emotional abuse, the way in which that has played a, a significant role in the unhealthy relationship that you have with them today. And I know that there are many of you out there that have very fractured, toxic, unhealthy relationships with your parents for similar or similar reasons or for other reasons that are in some way related to this dynamic. And all I can say is that there can't be any healing if there's no acknowledgement of the issue and if there's no willingness at least on the part of the parents to take responsibility for the role that they've played in this situation, in the resulting dynamic. And I know that it's a tall order for Nigerian parents to take responsibility for anything because it's it's a well-known, well-established fact that within the Nigerian community that parents never apologize, never take accountability. But that is, again, like part of the ego and narcissistic pathology within the community, within the family dynamic that is 
that erodes everything. It erodes the foundation of anything. You can't build anything on that, basically. Okay. If if people are not willing to apologize and genuinely take responsibility for what they've done, there's no path forward for your family. I hear it all the time. People say, oh, forgive and move on, forgive. But the thing is, is that um, if the issue is not addressed, it's going to continue to reoccur. So you're going to find yourself in sort of this hamster wheel of them offending you, um, you don't speak to them for a while, you forgive and forget, you come back, they do it again. And it's like, it's this unending circus. Like, And so my advice to children out there like myself with parents that, you know, have these issues is you have to hold your parents accountable and you have to tell them that there is no path forward without accountability and without professional help. And if you have parents that are anything like mine, that are resistant, that insist that there's nothing wrong with them, they're too old to change, this is the way they are, this is the way they they were brought up, then I'm sorry, like, (laughs) there is no path forward. I just don't see where it's going to. This is forever going to be a fractured and toxic relationship that is just going to continue to have the same sort of pattern of behavior and dissatisfaction and letdowns. And yeah, what can I say? It's just not a recipe for success. So, but you know, as somebody who has successfully extracted themselves out of this, and I'm going to get into that after the after the next clip, I think it's really, really important that, you know, at some point you might just get to the point where you get to the end of your rope where you're like, I'm done with my parents. There's no helping them. At the very least, though, you want to be sure that you get yourself to a point where you don't begin to emulate any of these behaviors that your parents sort of brought you up around or brought you up with so that you can attract good people into your life, whether that's a romantic partner, whether that's friends, colleagues, whatever, so that you can at least in your future have a healthier and more wholesome life that is completely different, the complete opposite of what you've experienced with your parents. And so Let's move on to the the next part here, which has to do with um, Amanda goes into t- sort of talking about disproportionate punishment within the uh, Jurian community, pre- specifically between parents and children. She kind of talks a little bit about the boarding school environment. This is this has more to do, I guess, with um, what happens in Nigeria and sort of that dynamic and what that sort of what that does to people and the sort of trauma that that can inflict upon people, the lifelong trauma, I should say, that that inflicts upon people. So let's take a listen to that. And I will, of course, come back after that with my commentary. Oh, if I make a small mistake in my job, I'll get fired. If I talk about the way I feel and make someone unhappy, they'll completely reject me. It's a disproportionate reaction to a situation because you were raised in a household where if just because you move cup from here to here, the mother will call you. Why did you do this? You are a stupid child. Bah, bah, boss. They will kick you and say, go to your room. A child, a small 
child that barely understands how the world functions, that doesn't even know what is wrong with them moving something from left to right. Okay, the person has been doing it over and over and over and over again. There is a certain level of patience it takes to teach a person without bringing them down and without insulting them and without abusing them. But Nigerian parents, you don't understand that. I feel that we just need to continue to have this conversation by telling people that yeah, there's a different template. Yes, to, to, to gain in respect. Because yes. even before you become a parent, like yes. you, you use the example of boarding school perfect example of how like you said generational trauma yes. whatever it is so i'm in gs1 i've been bullied i can't wait to enter gs2 because my gs1 person is going to do I that and I, I we think i think in nigeria we don't talk a lot about the impact of bullying yes on on yes on on that do you, are you a therapist do you get people who come yes. to talk to you about yeah. it and i'll sit with them and i'm trying to ask them okay we'll go to the childhood how was your relationship with your parents and they're like oh my family was fine and i'm i'm like okay fine that's usually what every nigerian child would say but let's dig a little bit deeper you go to individual what's your relationship with your father like your mom like it's like my parents were very supportive they were very helpful they were very present for me they were loving they were kind and then we were wondering like where is the self-esteem issue coming from where is the lack of confidence coming from where is the shame coming from where is this irrational fear coming from where is this guilt coming from why can't this person be able to go to themselves why have they lost themselves I'm like okay fine so let's go uh, what was primary school like uh, what were the adults in your life like what was secondary school like then you now notice that they move back and their hands are folded when a person folds their hand in therapy that's an automatic I'm trying to protect myself that's a defense defense stance like okay there is something that I don't want to reveal or talk about that's when you now see and I start telling you I was abused by a senior they used to take my things when I was a kid I didn't feel safe I was always on edge people's anxiety issues come from secondary school they're having to be chased by seniors being abused and made to do work that is not meant for them mm -hmm. taking responsibility for things that they, so you come inside one person has messed up everybody gets punished for it and they get punished in the worst ways people are shamed they all everyone in your corridor comes to beat you up for something you've done like it's a lot of people experience significant abuse in high school that they are not even able to talk about it's become embedded in the culture like yes. it just when you sit down with young people like your school, when they tell me they just tell me you down for top water, uh -huh. we lie down for gutter. Your own is better. Uh -huh. And I'm like, they use cutlass, they beat us. Be like, what kind of cutlass? And I know, and I just decide. Be like, guy, you know, say they, they see use the for my, my body. Ah, one senior give me this one here. Ah, one guy slapped me. You know, people were raped in, 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 in secondary school. People were abused in secondary school by teachers, by seniors, by their mates. People were verbally abused. People were put down. So I have to say that as I was listening to Amanda Ime speak on this, um, it sort of took me back to my teenage years when I started working as a babysitter in my neighborhood for different families that live near me. And I remember specifically that this was the first time in my life that I actually got to see what it's like behind closed doors in within other families' homes as far as how they raise their children, how they speak to their children. And I have to say that I was ab absolutely blown away at how some families spoke to their children. I had been raised in a home where screaming and shouting and verbal abuse was the norm. 
And babysitting exposed me to families where I would actually see a two-year-old or three-year-old, five-year-old, however old child having an absolute meltdown. And I would see the parent just sort of coming down to the child's eye level, looking at looking directly into the child's eyes and speaking in a very low tone and explaining to the child why they couldn't get what they wanted or why it was time to clean up their toys or why it was time to take a bath or whatever. And you would just see the child just sort of gradually calm down because, of course, the child cannot hear what the parent is saying while they're screaming or while they're crying. And I have to say that in witnessing that, I realized that, wow, you can actually get what you want out of a child without abusing them, without assaulting them, without, you know, bringing, escalating the situation even higher than it already is. And so when Amanda talked about, you know, a parent abusing a child for moving a cup, for example, you know, and just kind of talking about the fact that Nigerian parents don't seem to understand that, you know, these things that children do are normal. They're children. They don't know anything about the world. They're trying to understand the world around them. And it takes a certain level of patience. And that that's that's a huge, big point that she made that I want to emphasize. It takes a certain level of patience and maturity to be a good parent and to understand that the mistakes that children make are normal and that you are not teaching your child anything by screaming at them, punishing them emotionally abusing them for committing a very insignificant mistake. If you want to instill, you know, a sense of healthy self-esteem in your child, if you want to instill good communication skills in your child from a very young age, you have to demonstrate that in your behavior. You have to demonstrate the importance of talking the importance of you know coming speaking to someone directly in the eye communicating with them listening to them and that's something that i think is not practiced enough within the nigerian community i certainly never saw that as a child i w- it was almost always yelling and screaming and commotion over the smallest most insignificant things And I think that that is very unhealthy. It shows itself in our society. You can see the way, as I mentioned earlier, you know, how people relate to one another, the insults that are hurled back and forth between people. It's just not a, it's, you can't build a healthy society. You can't build a society in which people trust one another, in which people want to cooperate with one another when people feel that they can't trust one another. And that trust starts with how we communicate with each other and it starts from home. And so I thought that was a very powerful argument that she made at the beginning of the clip. And then when she sort of delved into speaking about boarding school, now me personally, I I, I did not go to a boarding school. This is something that many of my cousins did do in Nigeria. They attended secondary school, boarding schools. 
And I do remember hearing stories of juniors being beat up by seniors. I'm pretty sure I've even overheard one of my cousins talking about a sort of gloating about how she really dealt with a particular junior, really, you know, beat them up and got them to, you know, iron her clothes and wash her clothes and just sort of made that person almost like her personal slave. And, you know, at the time, we, you know, I, I didn't really, I mean, I, I, of course I was shocked, you know, coming from the United States, I'd never heard of anything like that before. But listening to Amanda Ime sort of talk about it in the sense that this is sort of the this is sort of the environment in which people sort of elaborate on that that fear and anger that they experienced as children. This is sort of like the ultimate outlet for all the frustration that you had sort of pent up or built up over the years in your in your home. You come to secondary school and this is where you finally get to exert your dominance and exert express your pain and your frustration on someone else, a junior individual. And it becomes this sort of cycle of, of violence. It is basically violence. It's not just bullying. This is actual violence that's happening at secondary school where people are getting beaten up. People are being starved. People are being abused. As she mentioned, people are even being raped. And there's sort of this culture of from what I understand, and again, I'm being, I'm going based off of what I've heard, what people have told me. Um, there's this culture of sort of like bragging about what you've been through, as she mentioned in the clip, like people sort of comparing like, oh, well, I had hot water thrown on me. Oh, that's nothing. I was beaten with, you know, a glass, uh, with a glass belt. And, you know, I was cut with glass and I was cut with a knife. And I was, you know, it's like comparing war stories, comparing like who suffered more pain, who survived more pain. And that is not healthy. And I don't find that funny at all. And it's very troubling to know that there are people who think that that is normal and think that that's okay. And it becomes sort of reflected in the overall society where you sort of see Nigerians living this life of struggle and suffering and thinking that it this is normal thinking that it's normal to live in live in a in a country where you you can't trust anyone you can't depend on anyone you can't depend on the system you can't depend on the government you can't depend on the electricity being there and you just sort of go along with the suffering. You walk through streets that are flooded with water. Water. You drive through streets with massive potholes that are, you know, just, you know, flooded all the time. And just this, this life of suffering, this life of perpetual, unending, just difficulty and just constantly having to deal with that and to think that this is okay and this is acceptable and it's not you know it's almost sort of like what's happening in the home is sort of a direct reflection of what's happening in society okay because your house is obviously not in order and nor is your society you can't live comfortably and safely in nigeria you know unless you have a lot of money you need to you know have guards dogs gates 
you know, barbed wire. I mean, it is an environment in which you do not feel safe. And this is symptomatic of the overall sort of dynamic that is set up from the get-go. And that starts with the family unit. And everything that they complain about as far as corruption, et cetera, in my opinion, that all is all centralized. It all starts from home. And when you have sort of the same pattern of abusive behavior that is building and, and instilling all this mistrust between people, and this is happening in each family, family after family after family after family, you know, it's no surprise that we see what we see today. And so in, in my case, for example, I, I've seen it. I've had these conversations with people like myself who are Nigerian-American, grew up in the United States, and we are just <laughs> those of us that have managed to escape, quote unquote, we have had to do a lot of work to sort of unlearn a lot of this bad behavior that we grew up with in our homes. And as I mentioned earlier, babysitting was sort of the key that unlocked this for me. And in seeing the way in which other families related to their children, I realized that if I was going to be successful in my life, if I was going to have a better life for myself and for my future children, that I was going to have to make sure that I unlearn this behavior. And that was going to mean that I was going to have to get as far away from my parents physically as possible, physically, mentally, and emotionally as possible. And so I probably will get into that in a future episode, but that is in fact what first exposed me to the realities of what I had been confronted with from my childhood. And I think in I think a lot of times we sometimes get defensive about the way in which we were raised. Some of us don't want to offend our parents. We don't want to offend our families. And so we almost sort of say, well, you know, that's all they knew, or my parents did their best. They did the best with what they had. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not you know, that there isn't an element of that that isn't true. But at the same time, we cannot continue to make excuses for this bad behavior. At some point, we do have to say, no, enough is enough. This is no longer acceptable. That might have been the way things were when I was growing up. But now that I'm an adult, things have to change. And so that's, and and of course, the change starts, of course, with you and you know, you deciding that you're going to do things differently. But also, I do feel that there needs to be an element of change on behalf of the parents, because otherwise they may inflict or impart some of that behavior onto your children, especially if they, they plan to play a very active role as grandparents in your child's life or in your children's life. And so it's very important that this gets addressed because although they're not the primary guardians of your children, there is the likelihood that some of that pathology could be passed on to your children. And if that is something that you do not want, I think it's really, really, really important that you have these serious conversations with your parents. So that brings us to our next 
clip that has to do with fear and hate. Ooh. <laughs> I think that this is a really great, a, a really, really great clip where Amanda sort of rounds out this topic, kind of all, you know, relating to the previous topic about, you know, corporal punishment, disproportionate punishment. But she she talks a lot about how this and this is something I just recently touched upon, you know, how this sort of like leaks seeps into the uh, overall society. So I'm going to play that clip and I'll come right back with my comments. Which just takes me back because I'm having a hard moment. The narcissistic personality that you said that for you to not be a narcissist, you have to have that empathy and compassion. And I think living in a place like Nigeria robs you of that. Yes, especially Lagos. Now nah, let's just Lagos, be Lagos robs. Lagos makes robs you, you so apathetic. That, that empathy. Like I was walking on the road one day, and this woman that Mama put, she has a restaurant and her children. They come there, and kids maybe the oldest is maybe nine. And I was walking, and I just heard the woman say. This picking, these children, Mona, not make me poison now. I got poison now one day. You know, sit down for one place. Eat this food. I was like this. I was, I was passing. People in the shop were laughing. You know, it's like, madam, you don't do calm down for that children. You guys sit down now. Don't make your mom angry. When I saw that, and the children just kept quiet and they were eating, and because I was a child as well, that was, I was shouted at a whole lot I think about what that child is going through and just certain things that as a parent when you say it stays yes it stays yes. and I wonder if that child now is maybe in the next 10 is going to remember what your mom said my mom said she will poison me okay. do you know what that puts in you, <laughs> you it, it's, it's it creates fear and it builds hate hmm. that's how he it's like because the first thing you start to wonder is does she, why does she want to kill me? Does she hate me? Mm -hmm. And then you now start to wonder that there's a possibility that she might actually hate me. Mm -hmm. And that breaks trust and that impairs the ability to love and form intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. Because there is that fear that has already been created with the figure who was supposed to teach you love, trust. I don't think parents actually know what the, like the amount of work it is or it takes to raise a fully functioning healthy individual if they did there's a bomb picking anyhow like this mm -hmm. they would take out the time to know that okay i want to really have a kid so i know this is what it takes and i need to be physically emotionally mentally and spiritually ready to take up this responsibility that i'm about to have but they don't they don't be safe if i give you i give you clothes send you school now so you don't have a right to ask me for anything else but a human being is not just that because if that's all we were. Nigeria for day better because not all of us go to school. Yeah. Not all of us enter university. Some of us do primary school. It's a bit right. We get clothes for body. We day inside house, but we still mad. Mm -hmm. So it means that the problem is not the physical. It's not the financial. There's something deeper that we're not looking at. Now, one of the things that I did before becoming a parent is I really took the time to really sit down and think about why do I want to become a parent. How do I want to raise my child? What sort of skills are important to being a healthy and good mother to my child? I mean, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of research. You know, I was very intentional behind my decision to become a mother. And that is specifically because I wanted to be a different kind of mother from the one that I had growing up. 
I wanted to be one that was, I wanted to be a happy mother. I think that's the most important thing is being a happy mother is a very intentional act because guess what? You're not going to wake up every day feeling like carrying a screaming baby and, you know, breastfeeding and taking care of a child that is teething or colic or, you know, or having meltdowns, you know, having a baby that is uh, crawling all over the place and putting their fingers and things and grabbing things and putting in their mouth. I mean, they're, you're, you're sleep deprived, <laughs> you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're not always going to be in the mood to smile or be in the mood to be in a good mood. Okay. But that, again, that's what it means to be an intentional parent. You wake up every day and you think to yourself, how is my mood going to affect my child? How is my temper, I should say, going to affect my child if I get upset, you know, or if I lose my temper, you know? And so you have to work on that and make sure that you you get yourself, and this is prior to you, to having children, make sure that you've done the work on yourself to really manage your stress levels, manage your anger. If you're the kind of person that, you know, is easily stressed or easily, you know, upset, you know, luckily enough, I'm not that kind of person. I handle stress quite well. Like I'm, I'm very good with that, but there are some people who, you know, they just don't work well under stress. They shut down or they have anger issues. And so that goes to, you know, what Amanda and Lolo were speaking about in this clip, specifically the example that Lolo gave about the angry mother that threatened to poison her children. I can totally relate to that. Not only have I witnessed such commentary made towards children publicly at that, but I've been a victim of it myself as a child, being threatened um, by simply doing things that children do. You know, it's normal that children don't want to sit down and eat. Children are are excited about the world around them. They're curious. They want to look around. They they don't have the patience to sit still the way adults do. And so as a parent, you have to understand that. And you, what's important is to communicate to your child and say, hey, you know what happens when you don't sit down when you eat? You can choke. And do you know what happens when you choke? Then we have to go to the hospital. <gasps> we don't want to do that now, do we? No, we don't want to do that. Okay, so let's have a seat. Let's sit for five minutes. And guess what? When you're done, we can go over there and play with the toys. Or mommy will give you some money and you can go to the arcade or whatever. You know, there's a there's a nice way to sort of still get what you want out of the child without threatening them and scaring them. And that idea behind, you know, what the woman said as far as poisoning the child or threatening to poison the child that does stick in the child's brain and the child does begin to think like, does my mother hate me? And I have to say from personal experience that I oftentimes did wonder to myself if my mother hated me, if my mother really even wanted me, if why she even had me, why I even existed. And I know that when, you know, some parents hear this, 
they might think, well, why would you think that? You know, you're her daughter. <laughs> you know, how could anyone hate their daughter? I hear that a lot, you know, from Nigerian parents, you know. How could anyone hate your daughter? She gave birth to you. Of course she loves you. She's That's why she's yelling at you. She's yelling at you because she loves you. Yes, but that is not the way in which the child is understanding that. You see, there's a difference between what you intend to communicate and what you're actually communicating to the child. And that is not a language that anyone would hear, especially a young child without much life experience. They would not hear that and automatically think, oh, my mom loves me. No, if a child hears that you're threatening to poison them, they're probably thinking that you don't like them very much because people don't typically poison people that they like, right? And so that is something that I think parents have to really think about and be aware of uh, when they communicate with their children. And I thought that that example was very powerful because I think most of us in some way, shape, or form can understand that dynamic. We've seen that. Even if it's not happened to you, you've seen it, you've heard it, you've seen and heard parents threatening their children in very, very crazy ways, scary ways, threatening to hurt them, threatening to kill them, threatening to choke them, threatening to, you know, hurt them in ways that are just not consistent with what one would identify as love And this is, again, the person that's supposed to be keeping you safe, right? Your mother is somebody who is, you know, supposed to be protecting you. She's supposed to be loving you. She's supposed to be keeping you safe. And she's the same person that's threatening to harm you in this really unbelievable way. And so I think that we need to really understand that, you know, how a child views that and how a child interprets that and to know that that inflicts quite you know, significant psychological harm. And that is a behavior and a way of speaking that should be avoided at all costs. Before you become a parent, if you have anger issues, or if you know that you have emotional range issues of any kind, you need to seek help. You need to make sure that you get yourself to a good place before you become a parent. Children are not dolls, they're not dogs, they're not pets, they are human beings who we bring into this world, who deserve to be protected, loved, and cherished, and threatening them, threatening to kill them, threatening to do them harm is not the best way to raise a healthy, well-adjusted, safe and secure child. So I would highly, highly recommend that if you are someone who finds yourself in this sort of headspace where you just can't control your emotions and you're overreacting and getting upset. Or if you know someone who's like that, perhaps you need to have a conversation with this person and let them know that, you know, how this could be very detrimental to their children's well-being. And this will in the future create issues between themselves and their children as far as trust is concerned. So I also wanted to touch on the last point that Amanda made towards the end of the clip where she was talking about, you know, parents not knowing the amount of work that it takes to raise a fully functioning, healthy individual. I mean, that's just, she's right, you know, and that the, and that goes 
back to my earlier point about the intentionality behind parenting that, you know, a lot of times in the Nigerian community, you're just told, get married, have kids, get married, have kids, get married, have kids. But no one ever wants to have the conversation about, you know, get married, get therapy, and then have kids. You know, therapy in the sense that make sure that you're in the right headspace to be able to handle the responsibilities that come with being a parent, that you're ready for what comes with being a parent. So I really like the last point that Amanda made about sort of the mechanical nature of parenting that is so prevalent within the Nigerian community. And she referenced the fact that most parents just see parenting as being this sort of um, responsibility where you just need to provide clothes, you need to provide food, you need to provide shelter, you need to provide education. And the children don't have a right to ask for anything more than that. And as long as the child is receiving those things, they should be content. And I really love the point that she made that there's so much more to parenting than that than just that. There's the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs of the child that need to be fulfilled. And she made an excellent, excellent point at the end that I think just really sort of brought her entire point together, which was, you know, Nigeria is full of people that went to school. It's full of people that have clothes on their back. It's full of people that are educated, live in homes, have comfortable lives. And yet there's something still amiss within the psyche of the people. People still have anger issues. People still have psychological trauma. People are still reacting and and unleashing their rage on those that they love, despite having all of those so-called things that they were told that were most important to have from their parents. And so I love that point that she made because I think that it is, it, it just really speaks to how sort of unhealthy this environment is in which you have all these people who believe that what successful parenting looks like is just simply having things and achieving things without really looking deeper to really understand that what really matters in parenting is not is actually not what you can see on the outside but it's actually what's going on on the inside of your children's minds and in, inside of their hearts and so I think that she made an excellent point in this clip. And I really hope that in listening to that, that it also made sense to you as well, and that you could probably think about yourself and your family or friends that you know, and sort of reflect on how that might actually make sense in some way. It might help to explain a lot of the dysfunction it might help to explain a lot of the unhealthiness that you've witnessed because people, as we've seen time and time again, money and things cannot replace the emotional, spiritual, mental health and connection 
that we need as human beings. And so I'm really, really, really glad that she made a really great point in this clip. So in this next and last clip from the video, Amanda Ime goes kind of further into detail as to how some of this trauma manifests itself in adulthood and explains how some of these um, traumas that we have begin to affect our relationships, personal relationships, as well as our performance career-wise, our personality traits, etc. And so I'm going to go ahead and play that clip and I'll provide my comments on the other side. Where is this discomfort coming from? And I just feel like, yo, this is similar to the shit that I experienced when I was a kid. Where if I was in this situation, my mother would react this way. And I know that it's the most painful thing I'm about to experience. So I always expect that everyone is going to provide that same amount of pain yes. to me as an, as an adult. And I'm still, so it's like, you still are that child. It's almost as if when we become adults, because we don't have memories like that of being kids, we forget that we were kids at all. But we don't know. You know, they leave. You just grow, and everything that happens to you when you are small, it dies inside your body, yeah. and it will show. It will show with the fact that you can't even communicate your fears. It would show because you can't sustain relationships. It would show because you have no friends. You not tell yourself, "I'm an introvert. I love to be isolated. I like my space." Naji, you've got poor social skills because your parents never let you socialize with other children. Hmm. You don't know how to speak about how you feel because your parents always put you down when you were a child. You don't know how to express your anger in a healthy way because nobody taught you how to do it. So now you are reacting as that same five year old child that you were when your parents were abusing you and you didn't know you are avoidant you can't sustain relationship all these people that are saying I don't like labels I can't commit I'm polyamorous mm -mm. you have intimacy issues because you grew up with a father who was emotionally avoidant because you grew up with a mother who never let you understand what trust was what love was what forgiveness meant what was meant to be compassionate and empathetic you don't know the qualities of sustaining a relationship so the moment you get into a relationship that requires you to use those skills imaro you don't know hmm. so what you do is you sabotage it you either make it the other person's fault or you find a reason to run away or you just ghost but then you now come and start saying no i have commitment issues where do you think he's coming from heaven so you thought when you became an adult you just wore a coat of commitment issues i can think of so many situations within my time on wall street where i would be so afraid to speak up and I just constantly had this nagging fear of being reprimanded. I had this nagging fear of just being made to feel like that little child that did something wrong and will be punished. And I honestly think that that was a major hindrance in my career. I never felt like I could speak up and address certain things because I was so afraid of the consequences. I was afraid that I was that I was going to be made to feel that same trauma that I experienced as a child. Amanda's point here about 
you know, discomfort. Where is this discomfort coming from? I have to say that when she mentioned that, I immediately, I immediately started thinking about the so many instances that I had in my career where I had that that same feeling that I had as a child where I just suddenly was just overwhelmed with fear. And I was almost paralyzed. And I just couldn't understand where this fear was coming from. I was like, why am I so scared? Like, I mean, I, of course I understood I wasn't literally going to be spanked. Of course not. But there's just something about that feeling that never leaves you. Even as an adult, you consistently feel like you can just never truly be yourself or never truly say how what's on your mind or how you truly feel about something because you've been sort of trained to believe that you are wrong for feeling that way and that you will have to face some serious consequences for talking back or or you know saying something that was not in agreement with what your parents believed or thought. And so I have to say that that point really, really resonated with me. And she's right. I mean, we, we, although we are adults, we are still, that child is still inside of us. That child never left. That child is still there. And that child still is very much a part of us. And um, I have to say that my introversion, both as a child and as an adult for many years, it, I mean, it's hard to say whether or not, you know, I would have still been an introvert with or without that influence. However, I do have to say that it doesn't surprise me that that is how I turned out. I don't mean to say that introversion is always symptomatic of any sort of childhood trauma, but I will say that introversion oftentimes can appear in people who have experienced childhood trauma. At least I can say that in my case. And my childhood trauma, or my introversion, I should say, manifested itself in such a way that I was just terrified of confrontation, terrified of people, terrified of just being honest. And I will say that in my early adulthood, to some extent, it may have played a role in my inability to properly connect with people. It definitely made dating harder for me. And it most certainly made maintaining and keeping friendships difficult because I could never just say how I felt. I could never really completely let my guard down. There was always this fear that this person would hurt me. It was always this fear that this person would reject me or that this person would not respond well to my I don't know, to my feelings, to my ideas, to my who knows what. It was just, yeah, it wasn't healthy to say the least. And so 
I would say that that has a lot to do with the the lack of examples that I had growing up in seeing conflict resolution, at least healthy conflict resolution. You know, when you grow up in a home where the way to solve problems is to yell and scream at one another or to insult one another or to threaten or emotionally blackmail one another, that is not a constructive way to learn how to solve problems in your life. And so as you become an adult, you find yourself in situations where you simply just do not know how to constructively approach issues and solve disagreements or solve problems between yourself and other people. You just sort of, as she, as Amanda mentioned in the clip, you either ghost people or you become just, you know, emotionally unavailable. You just sort of, you just don't know how to to handle it properly. You have commitment issues and so on. And this doesn't only have to be commitment issues in the form of, you know, romantic relationships. This could also be in the form of, you know, commitments to work. You may find yourself in a situation where you're constantly moving from job to job. You can't really stay anywhere. You can't get along with anyone at any job. You seem to find problems with everywhere that you go. You're just never content anywhere. You're never settled in anything And that's also problematic. That's also really, really unhealthy. And that may have something, again, to do with your sort of avoidance, sort of the avoidance tactics that you've developed in adulthood as a coping mechanism, as a way to be able to deal with the uncomfortableness that surrounds situations that you've never properly developed skills to handle. And so I really do think that she really hit the nail on the head with so many of the points that she made in this clip. And I think that this interview was a really, really great interview. And I strongly encourage you to check it out. I'm going to put the link to the video in the show notes Please check it out. Please check out Amanda Ime's work. She is really amazing, very intelligent. I really, really admire how articulate she is, how she's able to really sort of break all of these points down and and also sort of relate it back to the Nigerian experience and the Nigerian, me being a Nigerian American, I relate to that as well because my parents grew up in that environment and exhibit many of those same patterns of behavior. And so everything that she said completely resonated with me. And it was very therapeutic to hear someone speaking so intelligently on this topic and not making excuses at all for the actions of the parents in these situations and making it clear from a clinical perspective as a professional that this is something that is very unhealthy and needs to be addressed and needs to be handled properly, promptly, so that the future generations can have a much healthier 
experience and so that Nigeria as a whole can begin to heal and begin to move forward. Because as I, as I mentioned earlier, the society as a whole is a reflection of the family unit, of the home unit, where we all start off coming from that environment and we sort of then grow up and go out into society. And when we go out into society, we carry with us our traumas, our fears, our anger, our frustration, and we interact with other people and we basically pour all those things out into the community. And when you have thousands, millions of people doing that every single day, you can begin to see sort of a pattern in what's going on and you get a better idea as to why things are so dysfunctional in Nigeria as a whole to begin with. And with regards to the Nigerian community, you know, this uh, answers a lot of questions that myself and friends of mine have always had about the reasons for our um, personal issues, personal struggles, professional struggles, struggles with relationships, struggles with dating, etc. It answers a lot of those questions and it really helps us to put a lot of what we have been experiencing as adults into perspective. And it really has helped to inform how we go forward. And it, it has helped to empower us as parents. I know for myself as a parent now, I am <laughs> very intentional, very, going about things in a completely different way. I've taken the time to really heal and I can go into that in a future episode. If you're interested, let me know in the comments or through Instagram. You know, if you're interested in knowing more about what I did to sort of extract myself from this toxic environment and how I sort of rebuilt my life, recreated myself into this healthy individual that is now able to lead a much different life from that of which I came from. I do not believe in the excuse that simply because you grew up a certain way that you have to perpetuate that way of living or that way of behaving. We live in the age of information. There are so many resources out there for people. There are podcasts, there are videos, there are books, there are internet articles, there's libraries. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's just no excuse for ignorance today. And so don't let your childhood and the way that you were raised and the way that you were treated by your family inform the way that you go forward and lead your life. Take control of your life take control of your future and say to yourself, I want something different and I'm going to go out there and get that for myself. If that means you need to do more reading, if it means you need to do meditation, if it means you need to go sit down with a therapist, if it means that you need to extract yourself and remove yourself and separate yourself from your family, you need to do that. Because at the end of the day, only you can be responsible for what happens in your future. Your parents are not responsible for that. They played a role in your early life. And now that we have this information, 
it is our responsibility to take that and utilize it to our benefit and for the benefit of our future children and future legacy. So I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Let me know if you like this sort of format, if this is something that you enjoy, you know, me offering my commentary on clips, whether it's clips from YouTube videos or clips from other podcasts. I had a lot of fun doing this. It was also very therapeutic for me to sort of like take a walk down memory lane and kind of explore some of the things that I've been through and sort of the journey that I've taken towards healing myself. And so I really hope that this was an informative podcast and that it really resonated with you and connected with you and your personal experiences and in your life. I really do look forward to hearing some feedback from you. Feel free to get in touch with me on Instagram at Candles and Shadows. You can also email me at Candles and Shadows podcast at gmail.com. I'm always glad to hear from you. So don't be shy. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to your feedback and Thank you so much for listening. So until next time, see you later. Bye.